The following sermon is by a guest speaker at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. We hope you are encouraged by the following message. Father, I love praying that prayer, and yet I know it's hard. <laughs> um, I'm in a place in life where I can look back at a lot of things and say that. I'm thankful for the scars, and I know that they testify to who you are. But uh, I, again, just lift up those that uh, right now, the, the scars are fresh, and, uh, and they want to trust you. Uh, Lord, I pray that you strengthen them for that. And again, I pray just for a powerful working of your uh, spirit's conviction, of his teaching, of his comforting in our lives this day. Amen. You can be seated. Now, as your junior pastor... I'm sorry, I'm liking this title. We might have to put that on the door uh, back there. But as your junior pastor, it is my privilege today to introduce a guest speaker. And I need to tell you just a couple things. First of all, uh, Tyler preached for us back in the fall. I wasn't here, but I did go back and listen. Now, prior to that, I had never heard him preach. I'm telling you that because uh, he came as a recommendation from my daughter. And uh, I'm telling you that because if, you don't, if he flops totally and is terrible, you know, just so you know, I didn't even recommend him as my daughter. So I will give you her phone number, and you can text her and complain. I don't want to hear your complaints. I don't want you to give them to Tyler. His son's here. They just break their hearts, so don't do that. No, actually, I'm very confident that uh, the Lord has something for us today uh, in his preaching. I should tell you, too, there's nothing wrong. Well, there's things wrong with me, but there's nothing. Uh, I'm healthy, wealthy, and we better stop there. Uh, but uh, everything is good. Just wanted to give an opportunity for a little variety. So uh, Tyler's going to uh, bring. And I, I love this. Uh, I'll stop in just a minute here and let you go. But I, I love this. You know, as a guest preacher, he could say, hey, I got this one sermon that I know is good. So I'm going to bring that in. But he asked me, he said, hey, I'd love to continue the series that you're in. And I like that because when I was his age, I'd have preached a sermon I was comfortable with and said what I wanted to say. I love the fact that he was like, hey, I want to see what the Lord's teaching your church and what the Lord has for you. So I'd love to dig into a new passage. Uh, I'd love to dig in. So we are in Hebrews chapter 12 today, and that also gives us an opportunity since we stayed on schedule to wrap up Hebrews before Palm Sunday. I'll do chapter 13 next week. Uh, so looking forward to that. And with that, okay, one other thing i got to do here. You know, when you introduce him, either he walks up in awkward silence or we give him a little welcome. This isn't praising a man. This is just, hey, thanks for coming. Clap for him. Now, the only thing worse than awkward silence is lame clapping. Okay? So I got to give you, you know, three, three people. Yeah, whatever. Uh, that doesn't work very well. So I'm going to introduce again. This is, he is the discipleship men's ministry pastor at Gospel City. Uh, and uh, gets a chance to preach and sub there sometime, and uh, so thankful that he could come and preach for us today. Uh, so, with no further ado, and a warm welcome, uh, let's have Tyler Holder come. <laughs> I, I embrace the awkward. Um, I would have preferred the awkward silence, right? And just had you guys, yes, yeah, stared at me. 
Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to find your way to Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. We're just going to be looking at the first 11 verses. And as Pastor Dan shared, my name is Tyler Holder, and I um, am one of the pastors at Gospel City Church. And I counted a blessing to be back here with you at Community. Um, and I'm excited to be continuing on in the series that you've been in in the book of Hebrews. Now, as you're finding your way to Hebrews chapter 12, I would just love for us to just to take a quick trip down memory lane. Back Back to 1991, the era of VHS tapes, the Corvette Speed Rewinder, if you remember that, if you were blessed enough to have that, and when you had to tune the TV so that the static wouldn't come through on the tape. Does anybody remember that? Praise the Lord for you. I still have a collection of VHS tapes, and uh, I still have my VHS player, but in 1991, a pivotal moment came for me when the movie featuring Robin Williams, Hook, was released. Do you guys remember Hook, right? It was the first modern adaptation of Peter Pan, and here's why it was pivotal for me. What that movie helped me see is that my imagination could flourish and grow, so as I'm sitting as a young boy watching Robin Williams, the coup de grace of his Peter Pan moment, I'm sitting there and I'm just soaking it all in. And if you remember, there comes a moment in this movie when they're sitting at the dinner table with the Lost Boys and Peter has just arrived back in Neverland and they sit down to a steaming hot meal. Do you guys remember this scene? And the guy across from Peter picks up what seems to be a cheeseburger of some sort and he takes it and it just takes a huge bite. And you can see Robin Williams begin to salivate and Peter is looking at his empty bowl in front of him and he's seeing all of the boys around him eating and enjoying this food. And then the moment happens, Rufio, y'all remember Rufio? I wanted his hair so bad. My parents never let me have it, but that's fine. Rufio and Robin begin to argue with one another. And then Robin Williams takes his spoon, dips it in his bowl, and flings the food at Rufio's face. And out of nowhere, this multicolored splat hits him. Do y'all remember? And what I love about this moment is Peter finally has the belief, finally has the faith that what is in front of him is for him. And I love it too because it taught me a proper food fight, right? Here in Hebrews chapter 12, what we're going to see today and what we've been walking through, what you've been walking through in this whole series with Pastor Dan and the book of Hebrews is, is the book of Hebrews, the author giving you the proper perspective of who Jesus is. In the first 11 chapters of Hebrews, the author goes through great pains to show you that what you have believed in the Christ you affirm is more and is better than anything the world has to offer. In fact, all throughout the book of Hebrews, what we've seen so far is we've seen that Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses. He's better than the priests. He's better than the Sabbath. He's better than the sacrifices. Jesus is better. And if he's better, we realize that he's a greater messenger He's a greater leader. He's the great high priest. He offers us a greater rest than the Sabbath ever could. And he is the better and ultimate sacrifice that has taken away the sins of the world. That's what we have seen all throughout the book of Hebrews. We, much like Peter Pan, have been given fresh eyes to see with faith who Jesus is. 
So this morning, if you've been here for any stretch of time, if you've been in a relationship with Jesus for any stretch of time, then maybe this morning is for you to enlighten your eyes and to show you the beautiful picture of faith in Christ alone. So here's my hope coming into Hebrews 12. After spending the last two weeks in chapter 11 and basking in the beauty that is Hebrews 11, the hall of faith where we see faithful followers over and over again, what I hope we see here in these first 11 verses and what I hope we're able to walk away with is simply this, that by faith, I believe that Jesus is better. I hope you're able to say at the end of our time together this morning, that by faith, I believe that Jesus is better. In order for us to get there, we're just gonna ask three simple questions to help us see where our faith is. So Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse one, and we're gonna ask our first question, and our first question is simply this. If Jesus is better, am I persevering or am I giving up? Look at Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse one, and we're just gonna read the first two verses here. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, the writer of the book of Hebrews is connecting us back to chapter 11 when he begins verse 1 by saying, therefore, he's giving us a glimpse backwards and encouraging us to keep in mind these faithful witnesses that we've seen. The witnesses that he told us in chapter 11 the world wasn't worthy of, these faithful witnesses who give us a picture of faithful following. As we take a look back, realize what he's saying. So he's, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Having the foundation of chapter 11 firmly taught to us and in our minds, the writer now shows us that these witnesses, the ones that he just declared to us are present, They're here today to encourage us, to show us, and to be an example to us of what it looks like to faithfully follow. We have these witnesses surrounding us that have gone before us. They have shown us what it looks like to follow Jesus despite hardship, despite suffering, despite pain, despite success, despite persecution. These faithful witnesses show us the importance of laying aside every weight and sin which clings to us so closely to us. And let's just pause for a moment and just catch what the writer of the book of Hebrews has just told us. That there is an enduring, persevering race and there is an enemy that is fighting against us. And yes, we can acknowledge that enemy is Satan. Yes, it is. But there's also a more present enemy in each one of our lives. It's the weight and the sin which clings so closely to us. Now, I know we don't know each other super well yet, but there was a season in my life when I was a distance runner. I know what you're thinking. Clearly, I still am. I appreciate that. (laughs) 
In this season in my life, man, I can remember warming up for the race. Man, you had your sweats on because it's cold and it's early in the morning and you're doing your jumps, right? And you're shaking, doing the Michael Phelps thing when you do this. I don't know why you do that, but you do. You're stretching. And then there comes the moment when you're getting ready for the race. And can I tell you, I never ran a race in sweatpants and an overcoat. I never ran a race with ankle weights on my feet. I never ran a race with heavy shoes. Man, I was stripping down as fast as I could in an appropriate manner to get ready to run this race. I was taking off my training shoes and putting on my racing spikes. I'm taping them up so I don't have to worry about shoelaces. And man, as soon as that gun hits, I was the last one off the line every time, right? The reality is, is that each and every one of us know that if we were to get to the starting line and if the gun were to go off and if we were to start running, we would be fools to run with weights in our hands, an overcoat on our backs, clogs on for shoes. We'd be foolish if we did that. Here's what I love the writer, what the writer of Hebrews does here. He declares to us that man, don't, don't be foolish. Don't don't run this race handicapping yourself. I mean, remove the weights and the sin which clings so closely to you. Take them off. Take them and put them aside. And notice that he, he makes two definitive statements. It's not that a weight and a sin are the same. He declares to you, remove a weight which is vastly different than the sin which clings closely to you. Do you know what the difference is? A weight is anything that hinders you from pursuing Christ. It's not necessarily sinful. For you this morning, you could be sitting in here as a middle school or high school student and the weight that could be clinging to you is the desire to be the best in the class so that your whole life is wrapped up in pursuing the praise and acclamation of your teachers. Or if you're a young adult sitting in here this morning, the weight that could be clinging so closely to you could be the condemnation you give yourself for the life you lived before Christ. Because you have yet to realize that Romans 8.1 is true. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But the weight that you're allowing to cling so closely to you is your identity to who you once were. If you're an adult or really any of us, who have had any stretch of time with Jesus, the weight that could be clinging to you is the desire and the thought to please God through a legalistic obedience to his rules. And for you, that's a weight that is dragging you down. Oh, community, would we cast off these weights? Would we cast off these weights as we have already approached the starting line? If we have a relationship with Jesus, we're already in the race. The gun has gone off and you're running and some of us are running handicapped from the beginning. But notice, he doesn't just tell us to cast off weights. He tells us to cast off sin. Sin is vastly different than a weight. A weight isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to want to do well in school. It's not a bad thing to follow God's law. It's not a bad thing, but what happens when our bad things become our God things, they become our sin things. A sin is anything that's an explicit affront to God. A, a sin that easily surrounds you is most likely something that you could easily identify it's the pride you feel in your heart. It's the lust you entertain in your eyes. It's the 
division that you cause with your words. Oh, church, don't just stop at casting off the weight. Pursue holiness and cast off the sin which clings so closely to you. Here in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse one, or in chapter 12, verse one, the phrase that the writer uses for clings so closely to you carries with it the idea of an army or a, a grouping surrounding you and pressing in upon you, preventing your progress. That's what weights and sins do to the life of a believer. So for you and I this morning, if we've believed the gospel, man, that invites us to throw away our sin, to throw away our weights, and to pursue and look to Jesus, the author and founder, the perfecter of our faith. If we've believed the gospel, then please stop hindering your race. Cast aside the weight and the sin which can easily encircle you. And notice what he says next. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There is a present and active race that you're in. And I got to believe that some of us are walking. Some of us are limping. Some of us are sprinting because we think the first one done's the best. And you're going to run out of energy real quick. Some of you, by God's faithfulness, are trudging along, persevering in the midst of pain, hardship, desiring to focus and look at Jesus. Oh, that we would all be actively engaged in the race that's set before us. Hear me, the race is yours and you're in it if you have a relationship with Christ. But please hear what I'm about to say. The invitation to follow Christ is an invitation to be a part of a lifelong race. It's an invitation to throw off the things which so easily entangle us and encircle us and to pursue Christ for the rest of your life. And the redemption that Jesus offers, by the way, doesn't have a low bar of admittance. It isn't believing in Jesus so you won't go to hell. That's not the gospel. That's another weight that people so often carry with them thinking that the only benefit they have in a relationship with Christ is that they won't go to hell. Don't just believe the gospel to get out of hell. Believe the gospel to love Jesus. The gospel is an invitation for us to repent from our sins, to turn away from it, and in faith, turn to Christ, the author and founder of our faith. The gospel message invites you to acknowledge your sinfulness. Now again, we don't know each other super well, but what I do know about you is that you are a dirty, rotten sinner. As am I. And your sin, apart from Christ, is what separates you from him. Oh, that we would repent. And in faith, turn to him. Placing our trust and faith in Christ alone. The assurance of what is hoped for and the conviction of what is not seen is found in Christ alone. His perfect life, his sacrificial death, his burial, resurrection, and ascension is what has paved the way for us to experience new everlasting life. Oh, community, if you have yet to repent of your sin, could I implore you, could I beg you, to come to Jesus today. Because the race you're running is a race that will result in your eternal separation from him. 
The author of the book of Hebrews tells us in chapter 12, men, look to Jesus, the author and founder, the perfecter of our faith. He is the best example for us to follow. These cloud of witnesses that are surrounding us, they're not the example for us. They're just encouraging us to point to, to look to the one that was to come. And we are able to look back at the one who has come, Jesus, and realize that our focus should be upon him. In verse 2, when the writer says, looking to Jesus, the word that he uses there for looking, it literally means to look undistractedly without being diverted. Do y'all remember the movie Up? Great movie. That dog that would get sidetracked by squirrels, right? Our pursuit of Jesus isn't squirrel. Our pursuit of Christ is with undistracted view, looking to him unwaveringly. We are encouraged by the faithful that have lived their lives before us looking to Jesus to look to him because he, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame and is currently right now seated at the right hand of God the Father. Yo, if I'm gonna run a race and if I'm gonna have an example, if I'm gonna persevere in that race, I want the one who's completed it faithfully, fully, and is able to say it's finished, that's who I want my example to be. And that's who our example is if we're followers of Christ. So if we believe Jesus is better, are we persevering in this race? Man, are we just giving up? Here's my hope for you this morning. My hope is that you will be encouraged to persevere in the race that's set before you that you would be able to look to Jesus and realize that he is indeed better through faith. He is better and we are able to run this race to persevere and not give in, to cast off the weight, to cast off the sin, to realize you are in the race. And your goal, your goal isn't just to cross the finish line. Your goal is to be faithful, to look to Jesus with undistracted devotion and to follow him. And yes, you're going to get tripped up along the way. Yes, you're going to get hurt. Yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, it's going to be painful. But the alternative is far worse. Oh, that we would be a faithful church pursuing Christ because he is better and persevering in the race that's set before us. Not only that, but look at verses three and four. If Jesus is better, the next question we simply ask to test our faith is this. Am I resisting sin or am I giving in? Look at verses three and four. It says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. The author continues in his exaltation of Christ and tells us that we shouldn't just look to Jesus, but we should consider him. Now, when I hear the word consider, a thousand things come to my mind. Because we have a thousand options that we consider each and every day. In fact, this past week, my wife and I decided to take our children. I have an eight-year-old son and a six-year-old daughter and my mother-in-law, who's a lot older than that, vanity shopping. Now, men, have you ever gone vanity shopping? Did you know there's a huge market for vanity? Did you know this? Right? So we get the kids, we pile in the car, and the first stop we go to is Menards because it's 11% back. So you got to go there first. And can I just tell you, there are thousands of options. Like every option has another option with it. What color do you want? What size do you want? Do you want the sink included? Do you want storage underneath? Storage? What is this? An airplane? No, I don't want any of that. I want something for me to wash my hands. 
So we pack my kids up and we're going through and there's a thousand considerations that we're making. And we didn't find it at Menard, so we go down the street to Home Depot, which was even worse. Didn't find it at Home Depot. And by now, my kids are going, you said this would be a short adventure. Aren't you having fun? No. Right? So then we don't find it at Home Depot, so we end up at Lowe's. Praise Jesus for Lowe's. We buy that vanity, throw it in the back of the van. We return it this week. It was great. <laughs> what, what the author of Hebrews is telling us is that we should consider, and our consideration isn't the type of consideration that you and I have for vanities or we have for our favorite cereal or we have for our favorite dessert. We are to consider Jesus as the only thing we should look to, as the only thing that's worth our time, as the only thing that's worth our pursuit. The word the author uses here for consider in verse three is a word that carries with it the idea of calculating, of thinking carefully with effect and precision. It's the type of consideration you hope your heart doctor has with you. The reality is, is that oftentimes we will neglect to consider Jesus in the fight against sin. We will neglect to look to him and we will neglect to realize that he is the perfecter. He is the founder of our faith and he has already endured from sinners such hostility against himself. If anyone has the ability to encourage us to speak into the situation, to guide us through the trials of life, the sins that we are so quick to flee to. If anybody has the ability to do that, it's him. And yet our consideration, my consideration, so quickly flees to other things. The truth is, is that by faith we believe Jesus, if we believe Jesus is better, then we will quickly realize that this race is difficult, that this race is hard-pressed, this race calls for endurance, this race does come with a struggle, and the struggle is against sin. Hear me, community. In our struggle, in our battle against sin, if we consider something else other than Jesus... And we are setting ourselves up for failure. Here's what I mean. If I'm to battle sin, and if I'm considering something other than Christ, and what I'm going to do in my own strength is set up rules, roadblocks, and ramparts against sin. I'm going to create a little system for me to not sin. And when I fall there, what I'm going to do is I'm going to justify my sin by comparing myself to you. Because in my mind... I'm not as sinful as you are. And when that fails, I'm going to become discouraged because inevitably I will fall, I will fail in my fight against sin if I have any other consideration other than Jesus. Consider him. Look to him with precision. Look at him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Why? Because in our consideration of Jesus alone, we won't grow weary and we won't become faint-hearted. Here in verse three, the word that's used there for weary is the exact same word that Paul uses in Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. There is a drive, there is a goal, there is a pursuit, there is a weariness that comes in the race. 
And if you neglect to consider Jesus alone in your fight against sin, then you will quickly give up and you will quickly give in. So church, what are we doing? Are we setting up barriers to hinder our struggle against sin? Are we discouraged in our fight against sin? Are we justifying our sin by pointing to others who are worse in our minds than ourselves? The reality is, is that when Jesus is our consideration, when he is the one that we're looking to, then our struggle, our fight, our resisting of sin becomes more palpable for us. When I consider Jesus, I realize that I have an example to follow. That I have strength in the midst of weariness and faint-heartedness. And if you remember back in chapter 11, when we consider Jesus and our fight against sin and our resisting against sin, we have a promise of a reward to come of a future city where our struggle against sin will be no more. So community, let me ask you yet again, if Jesus is better, are you resisting sin or are you giving in? It could be that this morning you're sitting here considering your past week or considering last night and realizing that the fight that was waging around you, your fight against sin, has been one where you've continually lost the hope that's before us today and what the author of Hebrews is telling you is that when you become weary, when you become discouraged, when you become faint-hearted, no matter if you're a teenage boy who has fallen prey to sin or an older elderly woman who is prone to trust in your own considerations rather than Christ, the invitation is the same for all of us. Consider him, look to him, pursue him, place your faith and trust in him who is faithful So this morning is your opportunity to realign your considerations and consider Jesus who is our model for faithful leading and following. Consider him who endured the hostility against himself yet remained faithful and true. So not only are you in a race, but you're also in a struggle. You're in a battle. And not only that, in verses five through 11, what we'll see here in a moment is that in this race, in this struggle, there will be discipline. So the third and final question we ask ourselves this morning is simply this. If Jesus is better, if that is true, am I enduring training or fleeing from him? Notice what verses five and six tell us. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Do me a favor real quick and just tap that hyperlink in verse five. Y'all, do y'all's Bibles do that? Mine doesn't do it either, right? But what's happening here in Hebrews 12, verses five and six, there's a hyperlink and it's bringing us back to Proverbs chapter three. All throughout the book of Hebrews, what you've seen is you've seen the writer go back to the Old Testament and show us and prove to us and use the Old Testament to bring to light who Jesus is and what this battle we are in is like. Here in Hebrews 12, he's going back to Proverbs chapter 3 and he's giving us the proclamation of a faithful father to his son. 
And yes, in Proverbs chapter three, it's good for us as fathers to read that and realize, hey, we should discipline our children. I use it a lot in my family. Hey, Proverbs three, come on, bud, right? And don't despise my discipline. That doesn't work so well in my home. Maybe it works well in yours. It doesn't really work too well in mine. But realize what the writer is doing here is he's bringing us back to Proverbs chapter three. He's showing us that each and every piece of scripture points to Jesus, points to the savior that was to come, points to the one who fulfills all of this in himself. And in Proverbs chapter three, we see, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights all throughout Hebrews, we see this over and over and over again. Notice what the author, though, brings into light. He declares to us that we should not forget this exhortation. We should not forget, we should not so quickly pass over what God has already revealed to us in Scripture. He brings to our mind this familiar passage in Proverbs chapter three. And before our minds begin, by the way, to run to all of the experiences with discipline you've had in your life, allow me to frame this word in Hebrews 12. Whenever I've read Hebrews 12 in the past, when I hear the word discipline, my mind goes to negative. Does your mind go to positive when you think of discipline? No? Okay. I just wanted to check. Because when I think of discipline, I think of my grandma telling me to get a switch. Y'all know what a switch is, right? Is that a Midwestern thing? I don't know. I'm not from here, right? And, and you'd go in the backyard and you'd get it and, and, you know, it never ended well for me, right? Or I think of my father when, he, when my mother would say, wait till your dad gets home, which is the worst. I'm like, just do it now, get it over with. And she never would. She'd always make me wait the 10 hours for him to get home. Here in Hebrews chapter 12, let's throw aside, let's throw away all of these pictures of discipline, whom our earthly fathers, by the way, were doing their best to correct us. I hope, and train us to pursue Christ. The word discipline that he uses here in Hebrews chapter 12, the synonym for it is the word training. So don't despise the training of the Lord because training is for your benefit. And by the way, godly discipline is for your benefit. Don't despise the training that God is giving you. So instead of running to all those times when maybe you were disciplined rightly or wrongly, think about what the Lord is doing as he is training you. And he declares to us in Hebrews chapter 12, notice in verse six, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. Realize in verse seven, it is for discipline or training that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? allowed the truth of what was just said in Hebrews 12 to sink in. If you didn't experience the training or the discipline of the Lord, then that's a sign that you aren't in his family. Man, God cares enough about you to correct your stupid ways. And he cares enough about me to correct my stupid ways. And if he didn't, then he would be a mean, distant, cold father. And that's not who he is. He cares enough about you to give you discipline and training. Notice the response. Verse seven is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Discipline is proof of our adoption into God's family. 
Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Don't rush past verse 9. Realize what he's just told you here in Hebrews 12. He's given us the picture. He's arguing from the lesser to the greater. He's telling you that your foolish, sinful, earthly fathers disciplined you and you respected them. That's the lesser. How much more? The greater? Well, God discipline you and you should be subject to him, the father of spirits and live. The word, by the way, in Hebrews 12, 9 for subject is the word that we get our response to discipline. When godly discipline, when godly training enters your life, you should subject yourself or willingly submit to it. And here's why that's hard. That's hard because it rubs against our autonomy. It rubs against our sin. And man, if we have considered something else other than Jesus, man, if we have not persevered and we aren't pressing on in this race, then when discipline comes, we will rebel and fight against it. I love my children. I'm super grateful that my son is here. But man, every time I discipline him, I have to remind him that if he fights, more discipline will come. If he subjects himself to it, then what will come right now is all that there will be. So you can fight me, and you can wage war against me, and you will endure more of my discipline. Or you can subject yourself to it willingly and be corrected and realize the heart of your loving father. The same is true for you and I. God gives us training, gives us discipline so that our sinful ways might be driven far from us. And our response should be to willingly submit to it. Notice verse 10. For they, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Can somebody say amen? Right? I've never met somebody that comes out of the discipline going, man, that was hunky-dory. I've never met anybody that says hunky-dory. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Realize community. As God trains you, as he disciplines you, he does it for a purpose, unlike maybe your earthly father did. The purpose of God's training is for your holiness. Do you see it in verse 10? God disciplines us that we may share his holiness. He does it, verse 11. He does it so that it would yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Do you want to know why God trains you? He trains you to drive you towards holiness. Because as his children, that is what should characterize us. He drives you so that you can be trained to pursue righteousness, the peaceful fruit of righteousness that's a result of discipline. That's why he does it. So we land the plane here this morning with this last statement. The life of a faithful disciple is marked by their faith that Jesus is better than any alternative. And because of that, they can press on in the race of life. 
They can resist sin in the daily struggle, and they can endure training as a committed disciple who's pursuing holiness and the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Community, if you honestly believe by faith that Jesus is better than anything, as Pastor Dan has spent week after week walking through the book of Hebrews showing you, he is indeed better. He is better. He's the best. If that's true, then be encouraged to persevere in the race. Be strengthened to resist sin. And then look at the training and the discipline he gives you as a blessing. As a blessing and willingly endure it. Submit yourself to it. And realize that as a disciple, the discipline God gives you is just so that you may share in his holiness and pursue righteousness. Realize too that if you aren't a follower of Christ, that the discipline that God gives is but a foretaste and a shadow of what is to come. So here's my hope this morning. My hope this morning is simply this, that we would walk out of here encouraged and strengthened to say with boldness, by faith I believe Jesus is better. And this week, I'm gonna take it by the horns and I'm gonna persevere. This week, I'm gonna take strides in confessing my sin to another brother or sister so that I might find freedom and strength in my weariness. And then this week, I'm gonna look at this training, this discipline that God has given, and I'm gonna willingly submit myself to it so that I might share in his holiness and might see the peaceful fruit of righteousness yield great results in my life. That's my hope for you. That's my hope for you. So this morning, could it be that you need to realign and recalibrate where you are with the Lord if you've been following him for any length of time and have viewed him more as a distant father or have viewed Jesus as lesser than the considerations of your own life or if you have given so quickly into sin, then oh, this is the invitation for you, follower of Jesus, to repent and come back to him. The life of a faithful disciple is marked by continual repentance. And this morning, if you're sitting here and you're going, you know what, this gospel thing is kind of a new thing to me. I don't really understand what is the big deal, then realize that God, in his grace, sent his son to bear the wrath for your sin and for mine on the cross. And he's the only one that can do it because as we've already seen in Hebrews, he's the better sacrifice. And because of that, you and I have access to God the Father because God the Son, whom we have faith in, is seated, seated, right, seated is sitting right now at the right hand. That's a really hard word to say in an important moment is sitting right now at the right hand of the throne of God. And the Bible declares to us that we have access to God the Father through God the Son by our faith in him alone. So the invitation is twofold. Follower of Jesus, where do you need to recalibrate your life? To honestly live the truth that you believe Jesus is better. And those who have yet to believe the gospel, repent and come to him because he truly is better than any alternative. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we can open it and have it examine our hearts. Lord, I do pray. I pray for this church that it would be marked by a pursuit of holiness, 
that they would willingly submit themselves to your training so that the fruit of righteousness might yield beautiful results. Lord, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Today's message was brought to you by a guest speaker at Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.